0: Before we begin, I want to tell you about uh, a book that has had a great impact on me uh, as, a, as a human being, as a believer. Uh, it's one of these books that comes into your life when you have a little child and you start reading things that are deep and, and that draw you into philosophical thought. In this case, it's a book called Fish is Fish. You know this one? Anyone read, anybody have had a little kid between the 70s and now? This, this is a pretty popular book full of beautiful illustrations. It's a story about these two little fish, only one of them's a tadpole and he doesn't know it. And they're friends and they love exploring under the ocean together. And then one day, one of them wakes up and he's got little nubby legs. And he says, I think I am going to be able to walk around and hop around. I might turn into a frog. And his friend says, no. Frogs are frogs, fish are fish, you're a fish, you're not going to ever be able to hop around. And then of course his legs grow bigger, his tail gets smaller, and one day he hops right out. And he hops around and he, and he sees all these wonderful things and then he comes back and visits his friend the fish and says, wow, you won't believe what I saw. And he describes birds and he describes cows and he describes the trees and all these things. And the fish kind of doesn't believe him, but he kind of does. And so he decides he's going to go and experience it for himself and he hops out of the water, and he begins to flop around, and it gets dark, you guys. He begins to die. Luckily, his friend the frog was hunting butterflies nearby. That's a weird detail to include. And he sees the poor flopping fish, and he comes, and he pushes him in. He says, what are you thinking? And the fish says, I guess you were right. Fish is fish, and I belong down here. Now, I thought Long and hard when I first read this about what 's the the message for kids it could be it could be construed as kind of acknowledge the glass ceiling you know whatever you're born to do don't reach for the stars but i don't think that's the message i think it's a very very simple message that takes a while to get through a thick skull of a guy who who likes to sit there in his study under his higher degrees hanging on the wall and it reminds me quite a bit of the message that jesus has for this very educated man a very simple message for this man named nicodemus now we do know a part of this chapter, by heart, for sure, and that's John 3.16. Let's recite it together now, shall we? For, stop! For, right? The first word is for, and so we have to ask the question. What's therefore? Right, right, yeah, if you see therefore, you ask what's the therefore, therefore. If it starts just with for, it's what's the for, therefore. Same idea. That word gar in the Greek for, it's a conjunction that points back. It takes the, the flow of the text and it draws a conclusion from what came before. So whenever you memorize a verse and it starts with therefore or for, you've got to stop and say, I need to look at the context. So today we're not going to look at John 3.16. You already know it by heart and I hope you know what it means. We're going to look at its context and why it is that either John or Jesus, it's not 100% clear, tells us this good news about how God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. I think we don't want to go too far ahead in the text, but we do want to pop back a little bit to get a little more context. If you look at verse 23 of the chapter before, And you remember that these chapter divisions are rather late developments, not original to the text. You see what John is doing here. He's just got done talking about some of these great signs Jesus has done, his first miracle in Cana, and mentions that he's done other miracles. And then we read, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. Because he knew all men and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So there are these kind of superficial people following along because there's miracles, there's signs, there's exciting stuff. And then we're told Jesus didn't need that. He didn't, he didn't need the approval of these people who saw his signs and were moved by it. Rather, he knew what was in them. He didn't need the the testimony of man, but he knew what was in man. And then the next verse we read, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. What John is doing is giving us an example of one of these particular kind of people. It's almost like we, as the group of people who are weighing Jesus as a possible Messiah, sent a representative to talk to Jesus, and we sent our best representative this guy's, a, this guy's a good guy. He, he's educated. He's righteous. He's the cream of the crop. And he's going to go and have a sit down with Jesus. Remember we mentioned in the Gospel of John, it's almost all about one-on-one ministry. A lot less emphasis on his ministry to the, the crowds and the multitudes. So this guy, he's he's got all the credentials you'd want in someone that we together would send to go and be kind of our emissary to Jesus. He's a Pharisee, and don't let that word strike you as a dirty word. We know that many of the Pharisees were hypocrites. Jesus railed against them. But in its context, basically what we're reading is he's an ordained minister. And that's who you want to send to talk to a, a possible Messiah, right? A clergyman. He's trained as a clergyman. He's respected very much by the people. And not just that, but he's, he's not any old minister. He's a member of the Sanhedrin, a ruler of Israel. This ruling council that gathered together to make binding decisions about religious matters. He's part of this. He truly is the cream of the crop. And on top of that, he's famous. Not only in the New Testament, but in his day and in Jewish writings. You read in Josephus about Nicodemus. This guy, Nicodemus Ben-Gurion, in my opinion, almost certainly the same Nicodemus. We read about him in the Talmud, which is the collection of Jewish oral and written teachings that solidified over the centuries. This guy, Nicodemus, was famous For a number of things, one of them was this time that he had prayed for rain and miraculous rain came. And he got this name given to him, Nicodemus. And then we're told that he was one of the three richest men, richest Jewish men anyway, in all of Jerusalem. And then we're told that he eventually became a follower of Jesus. And so this is a significant guy. This is a power meeting that's happening. And we see in verse 2 that it happened by night. That's significant on a couple levels. First of all, because this is John writing, and in all of his writings, whether it's in the Gospel or in his epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, or in the Revelation, the primary motif in John's writings is continually and consistently light versus darkness, Right, we saw it from the beginning at Christmas time. We were looking at John 1. The light has come into the darkness. As Dave was reading today, there's this whole passage about this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, but the people love the darkness. And in the midst of that motif, night becomes a symbol of spiritual darkness. So there are times when Jesus, in his teaching, will, will say things like, but if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. But also when in the narrative things happen at night, you can see that that John's setting the stage for spiritual darkness. Like when you're watching a movie and you're like, oh, it's a funeral. Of course it's raining, right? It's there to set the mood. John often will do that by pointing out the nighttime and the darkness that's surrounding everyone. But it's also important just from the practical point of view. It was night when Nicodemus came. And why did he come at night? Well, you can imagine that a guy like this, this guy if they had like the top 20 most influential uh you know Christians on Twitter today. You see these lists come out. These is like one of the top 20 most influential Jews in Judea. There's a lot of scrutiny He's wondering, what are people going to say when they find out that I have visited Jesus? And so he falls into this category of people described in John 12. Many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Everyone was afraid that they might be excommunicated from the synagogue if they went and became part of this Jesus movement. And for someone like Nicodemus, who was at the top, there was nothing worse that could happen. Put out of his local synagogue, everything falls apart. Every aspect of his life. His religious training and the fact that he is a teacher, the fact that he's a ruler and a leader and a politician, the fact that he's famous and admired, all of it falls apart. So he comes at night under cover of darkness. We find that he does follow Jesus after this. Up to John 19, Jesus dies. What happens to his body? It's given to a man named Joseph of Arimathea. And he and Nicodemus together anoint the body and take care of the body. And we're told that they followed Jesus, but in secret. So, under the cover, kind of, of darkness. But let's put a pin in that, because that'll come back around later. And look at what Nicodemus and Jesus say to one another. Nicodemus kicks it off first. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. You see again how he falls into that category of people believing in his name because of the signs that he does. And notice that he calls him Rabbi. That's important. Rabbi means my great one, my teacher, and so he's, he's acknowledging Jesus, and Nicodemus is a rabbi, the rabbi. You know, there's a few pastors that are sometimes called like America's pastor because their influence is so large. Jesus called Nicodemus Israel's teacher, Israel's rabbi. And even Israel's rabbi is saying to Jesus, Rabbi, I acknowledge you and I are on equal footing. And acknowledging that you are a teacher come from God. That's also significant because, remember, when the Old Testament ended, there's 400 years of silence with no teacher from God, no prophet, no prophecy directly from the mouth of God. Nicodemus is willing to risk coming to see Jesus because he is pretty sure Jesus is starting that line back up, that connection, that that staircase is open once again that we looked at a few weeks ago. But notice that even though he comes to Jesus with respect, he does not come with humility. He sees them again on kind of equal footing. I'm going to acknowledge your your greatness as a teacher. You probably ought to acknowledge mine. His first words out of his mouth are, we know. This guy's either talking in the royal we, or he's saying we, the Sanhedrin, or we, a few within the Sanhedrin. We kind of acknowledge that there's something to your ministry and, and your standing before God. We know, you know, a lot of people will tell you what they know about Jesus. And oftentimes, it's not worth anything. Now, for a while there, every time I would preach at the rescue mission, this guy would come up and kind of accost me afterward to tell me what he knew about Jesus. And it was wonky. It did have to do with aliens. And I, and I would tell him, that's not what the scriptures say. he said, I don't care. I know this is true. Or you can even look to incredibly well-learned people like Bart Ehrman, who will he'll tell you that Jesus never claimed to be divine. He was not the Son of God in any sense. That was added later. Or John Dominic Crossan, if he's still drawing breath somewhere, will tell you that, that the stories of Jesus were meant to be symbolic, and we just stupidly took them literally, and that Jesus never rose from the dead. His body was eaten by wild dogs, but we should still follow him because his teaching is so good. And just like these men, Nicodemus' understanding what he knows is laughably incomplete at best. And it doesn't offer any real understanding about Jesus or any real standing before God. What he needs is what he knows to be transformed by the renewing of his mind. He grasps part of the story, but not all of it. In that song that we tried to sing... Again, I apologize. Um, There's a beautiful line. Two wonders here do I confess, my worth and my unworthiness. Nicodemus says, God is worth, but not yet his unworthiness. Those are two major themes in the scriptures. My inability, your inability to save ourselves, or even to find a way of salvation. Even our lack of desire To have a relationship with god on his terms that's one but on the other hand is the way that god has made through jesus christ and his death and resurrection the narrow road that leads to life these two wonders and jesus is going to help nicodemus see them both but here's the thing if anyone could stand on his own merit it's this guy and yet he's lost he's lonely he is grasping around for truth in the dark. And thankfully, even in the dark, he has found Jesus, the one and only way to God. Rabbi, we know you're from God. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. It's a little flattery, perhaps. Jesus doesn't respond with, I appreciate it, and I, I liked your work on the... No, 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 no. He says, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again. There's no beating around the bush here. There's no, oh yeah, let's have a little discussion about that and then maybe I'll try to really smoothly unramp us to the fact that I'm the Messiah and I came to die for your sins. Yet yes, we did see Jesus with a very come and see attitude about discipleship and evangelism if people showed interest in him yeah come along follow me i'll spend time with you but when the question comes up he doesn't beat around the bush and that's an important part of evangelism too lifestyle evangelism where you say yes come and and just be with me we'll spend time together it's important to invest in people but when the question of salvation comes up throughout the new testament the answer is always plain what must I do to be saved? Well, it's really more of a relationship. And not... No, 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 no. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Repent and believe. Repent and be baptized unto the forgiveness of sins. You must be born again. Jesus will tell him the truth, even though it comes off a little weirdly harsh. It's like he's saying, yeah, you discerned all these things, you know all these things, but at the end of the day... This question you're asking me, you're not even really ready to try and answer it. It's like a man who's blind from birth, trying to understand the difference between maroon and burgundy. He can't, not until he receives sight. And in the same way, Nicodemus can't fathom what it means to be saved until he's received spiritual sight. If we could get that through our minds as the church, I think we'd see a lot less false converts in our midst. The idea that everyone is truly seeking, seeking, seeking God, when Romans 4 tells us there is none who seeks God, what they need is the eyes of faith, and that comes through the preaching of the gospel. But we see here Jesus bringing humility to the table. A great example of Jesus humbling the proud. And then when the proud are humbled, lifting up the humble. He says to him, basically, you think you're up here, right at God's door, but you've got to come back down here and be like a little child. In fact, you've got to be like a newborn. You've got to be born again. It's like with the rich young ruler. Had he, had Nicodemus acted like him and walked away, we would have known that his questions were insincere, that his heart was hard. But he didn't. He stayed He wanted to learn from Jesus what he lacks. He wanted to receive that living water so that he would not be thirsting any more. He must be born again. He's going to follow up on that and find out what that means. By the way, you may have a note in your Bible that you could translate this, you must be born from above, and it's true. That's another meaning. It seems probably there's a little play on words here. Being born again, this time from above, not from below. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, and this is where you go, this guy's famous for being wise? Really? Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying, Nicodemus. Here's what you need to know, though. This is certainly not the first time Nicodemus has encountered language of being born again. Common language in rabbinic Judaism at the time. But not for your everyday faithful Jew, and certainly not for your rabbi and member of the Sanhedrin. Rather, it was used to describe those who were proselytes, those who were Gentiles becoming Jews. It was like they were again born, this time, into the covenant community. And so Nicodemus here is playing dumb. He's saying, well, wait a minute, I was born right the first time, born into the covenant I was born into a faithful family on the eighth day. I was circumcised. I've kept the law So if that didn't do the trick what I have to go do the same thing again I can't I can't be born again very much like when John the Baptist says to the Pharisees and all those gathered Don't say to yourselves. Well, we're children of Abraham So we're all set God can bring up children of Abraham. John said from these very stones No, there's another birth in view here Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Again, language Nicodemus is familiar with. Water, he's probably thinking baptism. And it's so popular these days to say, oh, no, no, this isn't baptism. There's nothing in here about baptism. This is where his mind's going to go. Born again, proselytes. And what happens when you become a Jew? You are baptized. But this is not something that Nicodemus should need. A washing, whether spiritual or a symbolic washing in the water or whatever's going on. He shouldn't need this. He was already in and he has the works to prove it. But if we pop over from John 3.5 to Titus 3.5, we read that God has saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. What Jesus is telling Nicodemus is that ladder you've been climbing, that you've climbed pretty well to the top, you've got to come down from there. You're on the wrong ladder. You know, I, I know that some guys have tried to get up here with ladders and with other mechanisms and have thought about who will remember them when they're gone, right? Dave, were you in that thing? Man lift, and apparently started going like this. I heard stories about Jim Harmon climbing up there and, and other people climbing up there and, 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 and ladders moving around. This is how Nicodemus is feeling. He's climbed to the top, but he knows he's unsteady. Why else is he seeking after Jesus at night? He knows he's been climbing the wrong ladder. He's got to go back down to the bottom because Jesus is telling him there's something about the ladder he's climbing and the way he's been climbing it that means he can't even see, let alone enter the kingdom of God. He's missing something, something vital. And so he's got to come back down and start over and this is part of the gospel that the world does not want to hear and that the church does not want to preach that god requires us to get off the ladder we've been climbing most of the way and and come to him as a little child to come and actually be born again in fact that kind of language is passing out of fashion because the world wants to hear this kind of a hybrid self-help salvation message that the church so too often is very willing to compromise with But it's a message that does nothing but make people feel secure as they slide right down into hell. You must be born again. And when Nicodemus hears this, his heart is pricked. The Holy Spirit is at work. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, Jesus says. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. This seems oddly simple to be teaching a Learned man, a teacher of Israel, that which is born of flesh is flesh. Like if you have two puppies, you get, or you have two dogs, rather, you get a puppy, you have two cats, you get a kitten. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. What do we mean by flesh here? Is, that, is this saying that it's bad that we have these bodies? No, the, the sarks, the flesh, it refers to the whole person in the New Testament, but it refers to us as we are in the curse, corrupted by sin. In fact, it could be translated sin nature. That which comes from the flesh is, is rooted and lost in the sin nature. Even if he could somehow go back in time and be born again from his mother, it wouldn't help him because it's the same kind of birth. He needs a different kind of birth. Frogs is frogs. Fish is fish. Flesh is flesh. Spirit is spirit. And we might hear that and say, duh, but Nicodemus needed to hear it from Jesus' lips, and so do we. That which is born of flesh is flesh. The religion that comes from human desire to, to, on our own terms, clean ourselves off, that's still flesh. No, the Spirit, that which is born of the Spirit, is spirit. By the way, this is one major argument for believer's baptism. Baptizing those who have confessed their faith in Jesus and have been born again. The reason we do that is not just because we never see anyone baptizing an infant in the whole Bible. It's not just because the picture of going under into the grave with Jesus and rising again when we come out of the water only really seems to work if it's a believer being immersed in water. It's not just because the order in the New Testament is always believe and be baptized, not the other way around. But also, we see here that this stuff about being born of water and the Spirit, it has to do not with our physical birth like Nicodemus is trying to make it work. No, it has to do with a rebirth that is spiritual. So when a baby's born, they've been born in the flesh. They're not ready to be baptized. When they're born again, when they've put their faith in Jesus, they've been washed of their sins. Now baptism makes sense. Verses 7 and 8, we see, uh, Do not marvel that I sent to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, there's something you don't see in your English translation unless you've got the King James, and that is that there's a shift here in verse 7, where it, it, he goes from talking to singular you just John, to you, plural, must be born again. Don't be, don't be uh, surprised, don't marvel when I say to you, singular, that y'all must be born again. That's the southern standard version. Y'all must be born again. You see, we sent Nicodemus as our representative, and he's finding out what we all must do, not just what he must do. All of us must be born again. Jesus says, yet again, because... We find out elsewhere in Scripture, we're dead. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. Spiritually, we're dead. And, you know, I've been around a lot of dead people in hospitals. I've been in a, way too many funeral homes, around too many departed saints, and, and, and many people who are dead. And I have friends who are morticians, funeral directors, and they do good work with what they have to work with. But every time someone says, oh, he looks good, or she looks great, I think, Really? Nope. He looks dead. She looks dead. You don't need more makeup on. You don't need more... They worked with what they had, which was the flesh, but the spirit's gone. And, and a dead body always looks like a dead body. And that's good. We want to remember they're not even here right now. They're with, they're with Christ. They're with God who gave their spirit. But when, when I, I look at a dead body, I know it's... a. Weekend at Bernie's notwithstanding, no one would ever mistake a dead body for a living one. If you haven't seen Weekend at Bernie's, I'm sorry for you. It's an 80s comedy about a guy who dies, and then this hijinks ensue, well, through a series of levers and pulleys and and, uh, posing. They make it seem for a weekend like he's alive, and it would never work in real life because you know what's missing. It's the spirit. It's the breath. If this person would live again, there would need to be a miracle a miracle of the breath returning, the spirit returning. They need to be born again. Billy Graham wrote a book, and I love Billy Graham. I used to say I wanted to meet him before he died, now I I doubt that's possible to happen, but Billy Graham wrote a book called How to Be Born Again. It's 250 pages long, which is about 249 pages too long. In fact, I don't know that the book should be there. How to Be Born Again... Perhaps believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved is the answer. But there's no book for, for babies. You know, I, your little baby, Jen, doesn't need a book called How to Be Born. It's going to happen to her, right? And, and this is what Jesus is saying about being born again. It happens to us. We, it's a mystery. The wind blows. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it goes. It is mysterious. And it's no mistake that he uses the word wind. It's the same word as spirit. Spirit. In the Greek, pneuma, wind, breath, spirit. You can see why, right? The, the breath of someone, their spirit, when the breath leaves, the spirit leaves. When you see the wind blowing in the trees, it looks like kind of thing. So wind, breath, in, in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, same thing. The word means wind or breath or spirit. It's the word ruach. And I think it's so fitting, you can't say that word without breathing out a bunch. I mean, you can, you can talk a little like, Zach, pulpit. Mike, I'm breathing a little bit, but we, to say ruach, you've got to really let it out. Ruach, the, the breathing out, it's a picture of what it is. In Genesis 2, God creates mankind out of the dust of the earth and breathes into his nostrils the breath of life the breath of life, and man becomes a living soul or a living creature. God must breathe into us for there to be life and for us to be born again. It's God who does that as well. And it's mysterious. We feel the wind. We hear the wind, but we don't see where it comes from or where it goes. We don't know. And this is way back before we had the tools we have today. They couldn't you know, chart like the jet stream and all these things. But even today, we don't know. Two summers ago, there were three weeks where I didn't do anything outside. Because every day they said, for sure it's raining today. We I paid a hundred bucks for this pavilion at Hawk Island, and guess what? It's gonna rain. So we move it to the church basement. Didn't rain. Then with our church picnic, well, it says it's going to rain. Move it to the church basement. Didn't rain. They don't know. You look at the, the map and some wind came in and blew it north, blew it south. It went around us. We don't know. And this isn't even talking about those big winds. That'd be the word animas. No, pneuma. This is talking about the little breeze. You go outside on a hot day, you feel that breeze. I don't know where it came from. I don't know where it went, but I feel it right now. And I love it. And this is the picture. In Ephesians 2, which Dave read for us, we see that even the faith through which we're saved is a gift from God, a grace from God. We don't know how it works. We just know that at the very moment that I want to believe in Him, He has predestined me and He has unshackled my will so that I can see my need for Him and so that I have a desire for Him. And so now I will be saved. You can't see the wind, but you can see its effects. 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Let's take a look here at verse 10. Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? See, this is stuff that he should have known. Why? Because it's in the Old Testament. All this stuff about regeneration. Ezekiel 36, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. So now we walk in newness of life. Now we live in the Spirit if you've been born again. Have you been born again? I can't believe it. Sometimes I see the statistics about how people uh, identify themselves. Uh, 82% of people in America say they're Christians. 16% say they're born again. The other 66% or don't check my math. They either don't know their Bible and they don't know what this stuff means. Or they're not really Christians. They're standing at a distance. Where'd I put my thermometer? And going, eh, we're kind of close. I kind of, I gotta read on him, I gotta beat on him. But he hasn't come in and brought life, breathed new life into me. You must be born again. Have you been born again? If not, do you feel the Holy Spirit calling to you? Saying, you must have newness of life. You must feel the wind blowing and go, I don't know where this came from, but thank God for it. Because now I am a new creation, washed in the blood of Jesus. I've been born in water and the Spirit. We walk in newness of life. And when we're born again and we walk in newness of life, the world takes note. Here's the thing about being an undercover secret follower of Jesus. Eventually you get to the point where you either deny him or you come out of the closet as a Christian. And that's what happened with Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. They wound up having to come out as Christians at one of the most difficult times. John 19, after Jesus died, they had to say, look, we're on the Sanhedrin, both of us. We're big shot rabbis, but we need Jesus' body because he's our Lord. And we're going to worship we're going to respect we're going to reverence him we're going to give him a burial and we're going to hope for his resurrection you know the world will celebrate the coming out in certain ways and applaud but there's other things that they won't applaud and coming out as a christian is not one of those things you will not be given a standing ovation when you say i worship jesus i follow him and yet we're called to follow him all the same If you continue reading the Talmud about Nicodemus Ben-Gurion, one of the three richest Jews in all of Jerusalem, there's a story a little later about his family living in abject poverty. doesn't tell us why, but we can guess. This guy who's become a follower of Jesus is being persecuted and he lost the position. He lost all the benefits. He is now being persecuted and he is now living a life of trials and tribulations. Like Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble, but take heart for I've overcome the world. And he's okay with it, it seems. He's chosen the narrow path, not the broad one the one that is more difficult but leads to life, not the one that is easier and gets the applause of men and the, the accolades and the finest seat at every feast but leads to destruction. No, he, he found what he was looking for that night. There's a cost to following Jesus, but Nicodemus counted that cost, and he found something more satisfied than being a rich, powerful, educated, upstanding, famous teacher-slash-politician, and that was being a follower of Jesus, who would follow him to the very end. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's the context of that wonderful verse. That we all are groping around in the dark, and the only way we will be saved, the only way we will live again, the only way our eyes will be opened is when we recognize flesh is flesh. Fish is fish, spirit is spirit. What we need is to be born again, born from above, born in the Spirit so that we become a new creation, that we might walk in His will in newness of life. Let's go to Him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this encounter between a very wise and very respected man and Your Son, Jesus. And we thank You that when humbled, Nicodemus continued to pursue the truth and to seek salvation. And Lord, we thank you that he, he even gave up his life of, of excess and honor for a life of following you despite the cost. Lord, we pray that we too would be willing to get off the ladder we've climbed to the very top spiritually and be born again. That we would be willing to recognize that the, the little children are our example in the kingdom of God. The, the greatest is the least of all. That, Lord, we would humble ourselves that you would lift us up. That, Lord, we would recognize that we need your Spirit. We need the breath of life. And, Lord, it comes only from you. Lord, we pray you would remind us of this as we follow you this week. And I pray if there's anyone in this sanctuary who has not put their faith in you, who has been at arm's length, coming and meeting with You, but not truly having received newness of life, that, Lord, You would draw them to You even now, that they would, that they would want to put their faith in You this moment here in this church. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.